This morning, our scripture reading is from Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. Um, If you have your pew Bible in front of you, it's going to be found on page 53. Uh, Otherwise, I'll wait for you to pull it up on your phone and read it along on your phone or tablet. Again, it's Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you fully, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, So according to the preaching roster... That's the passage I'm supposed to speak on this morning. And that's the passage I told the worship team I was going to speak on this morning. But we had an interesting small group on Friday night, very stimulating small group on Friday night. So on uh, Saturday, I rewrote last week's, yesterday I rewrote last week's sermon. And I think we'll head there this morning. I have both in front of me, but... We don't want to go until 1.30, so I'll choose one or the other. Um, so here's the thing, though. This, today's passage is really, really important. So I'm going to talk about it for a minute, and then we're going to go back to something else. Why this, today's passage is so important. You remember, if you've been here for a while, you remember. I'm going to start from this side. Okay. The story starts in Genesis 1 to 3. Genesis 1. Everything is just great and glorious. God creates everything. He's powerful. He's loving. He creates everything. Everything is spectacular. He creates man and woman, and they're the most spectacular of all. Everything is good. Everything is very good. Then the fall, and everything gets messed up. And man's relationship with God is messed up. The spouse's relationship with spouse is messed up. Our our jobs are messed up. Our nature is messed up. Our relationship with the environment. Everything gets messed up. Then Abraham comes along. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to restore all that stuff we lost in Eden. I'm going to give you children and descendants, just like Eve, you know, the mother of all living things. And so Sarah is going to have a lot of kids. Or you will have, together you will have a lot of descendants. And, and like you lost Eden, well, we're going to give you a land, a land of milk and honey. It's going to be not as good as Eden, but better than what you got now. We're going to take you out of the wilderness, give you a land. And then I'm not just thinking about you, he says to Abraham. I'm thinking about the whole world. You know, in Eden I had the whole world, and I lost all that. Well, I'm going to get it back now, because I'm going to work through you, Abraham, and through you as I bless you, and as you prosper, then you will bless the rest of the world. And then we see that unfold. 
And so in the rest of Genesis, the, la- uh, the, the descendants. You know, Abraham has only one son that counts. And then Isaac has only one son that counts. But eventually, they have innumerable descendants. And we get to Exodus chapter 1, and there's so many of them. They're living in Egypt, and they're a threat to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians said, look, we've got to enslave them. We've got to drown them. We've got to kill them, or else they're going to take over our country. So God answered the promise of descendants. And then God makes, works on the second promise. I'm going to give you a land. And we saw last week, last week's passage was about how God took them out of the land of Egypt. First step. In order to give them their own land, he first has to take them out of slavery in, a, in, somebody, in a foreign land. They're immigrants. He pulls them out of Egypt as the first step to bringing them into Israel. And then the story stops temporarily. In today's passage, the story has stopped. It was about restoring the blessings of Eden. It was about descendants. It was about land. And now the story stops. And and it's very important to know why it stops and how that impacts us. Because so far, the relationship has all been one-sided. God gave descendants. God gave land. But this is a relationship. It can't be one-sided. It's a relationship. Every relationship you're in becomes reciprocal. It can't be one-sided or it's not a relationship. You know, maybe when you've got a little kid, you know, a little baby born, and for a long time that relationship is pretty one-sided, but, but you know, at some point the kid gets older. Hey, at some point he goes to school and then he has a reciprocal obligation, right? All A's, no B's. And then he gets older and he has a reciprocal relationship, right? Got to get into a good college. And then he gets a job, and then he starts to give money back. Remember, you got to give money back to your elderly parents. <laughs> relationships are reciprocal. Whatever the reciprocation is, relationships are reciprocal. So far, God has said, look, I'm going to give you descendants. Hey, great news. I'm going to give you land. Great news. Now God says, look, this is a reciprocation. Look at what I've done for you. Now, here's the first thing important to know. I'm just going to, look, I don't have to cover it in detail. I'm going to make it real simple. Two points, and then you want to know more about it? Read the devotionals. Every day this week there will be a devotional. If I get them written, I'm now caught up, and I have to get ahead. Uh, You know, it takes about eight to ten hours to write one of these things, so hopefully uh, I'll get ahead of you. And then this week you'll have uh, devotionals. If you don't have devotionals this week, go to small group next Friday, next this week, coming up week, and you'll look more at this passage. For the morning, I only want to make two points. First of all, We really misunderstand the Old Testament because often we say the Old Testament, it was by works they earned their salvation. They did not earn their salvation by works. Look at the passage that Emily read. This is so important and I hate to skip over it, but what we're going to do the rest of the time is kind of more engaging. So look, look over it. What does God say? God says, look what I did to save you. I brought you out of that land. Salvation in the Old Testament always started with grace. Just like in the New Testament. Salvation was by God's grace. God rescued Israel. There was no reason why he should intervene to rescue Israel. There was no reason why he should give a promise to Abraham. Salvation has always been by grace. Now, there's a second point relevant to us. I think 
The reason we want to make salvation by works in the Old Testament is because we don't live there anymore. And we live in the New Testament. And if we can say they were saved by works, we can then say, but we're not. We're saved by grace. Therefore, you know, maybe I should live one way rather than another way, but it's not really life and death, whether I live that way or don't live that way. You know, it's better if I live for God, but I don't have to live for God because I'm saved by grace and and grace will wipe away all that stuff. So what happens when we find out they were saved by grace? And yet the second thing God tells them in this passage is, now look, you're my people. There's reciprocation involved. You're not earning my love. I've already demonstrated my love. I've rescued you. Now because you love me, you'll obey me. You'll live like I live. You'll live like I tell you to live. And do you see our situation is almost entirely identical to that? God saves us. And the story doesn't stop there. God says the same thing to us that he said to them. And in the Bible study and the devotionals, I'll give you a New Testament passage which show this. The book of Galatians particularly is a good example of this. Romans, in the New Testament, there's always the assumption that because we're God's people, saved by his grace, we will now live for him. So we're pretty much in the exact situation they're in. The only difference is this. Chapter 20, chapter 21, and Leviticus, you're going to get a whole list of laws. And these are the laws by which God measures who's reciprocal with him, who's faithful to him. These are the laws. The only difference in our case is we must still reciprocate. Only not all those laws are binding on us. God doesn't measure by laws now. The laws weren't effective for them. The law was an external code, you know. Uh, The law said what to do, but it didn't motivate people to do it. Uh, Yesterday, uh, uh, Elder Terry was driving from uh, Lexington to Concord for a meeting. And I was driving from Lexington to Acton, home. And the law says 45 miles an hour on that highway. But... I know, I drive that highway every day, and I know the actual speed limit on that highway is 60 miles an hour, because that's what people drive, and the cops will leave you alone, unless it's Friday night, and they think you might be drunk, and they pull you over. So I go sailing past Terry, and I wave as I go. (laughs) The law can tell me what to drive, but it can't motivate me to drive that speed. You see? And the difference is this. The law said what to do. Now, in the New Testament, God gives us his spirit. Christ lives within us to transform us. So that now, it's not the outward law saying this. It's our inward heart that says, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to live. So it's really crucial to understand all this, to understand the Old Testament and New Testament, and that's really what I would love to spend some time on today. But I had an interesting conversation Friday night, and I think maybe you'll find it interesting. So let's go back. If, if, if you haven't grasped that, you know, I've talked about this a lot, you know, but I talk about this a lot, so a lot of you will know this, and I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. The drawback is you think, oh yeah, that's what the pastor believes. And I don't want, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what the pastor believes. What it matters is what the Bible says. So here's a classic passage that says what I believe. So, oh, I believe what it says. You believe what it says. You just have to read what it says. So I just wanted to show you from this passage what it says. So that's what I've planned on preaching. But here we are on Sunday, and I went, through, I went to an interesting, stimulating meeting on Friday night. So I want to go back now. We okay? Reboot? Okay. 
So Friday night, we were looking at the call of Moses, like we looked at last week. But you know, it's, you always think further. You know, why do we meet in small group? Small group is much more stimulating than trying to read the Bible alone, right? you got a lot of different ideas come in and they, they prompt you to think and whatever. So if any of this is not accurate to what actually happened on Friday night, never mind. You're stimulated and, and then I went ahead and, okay, there we go. So you don't t- bear the blame. You get the credit, you don't bear the blame. So here's the question that came up Friday night. Moses, you know, he had this... Moses did an extraordinary thing, right? He had a comfortable life. He was an immigrant. He he was born in Egypt. He'd left. He'd gone to Midian. He got a wife, got an extended family, got some kids. Comfortable life, presumably. And then God says to him, Look, I want you to go do something dangerous. I want you to go do something deadly. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to rescue those people. And Egypt is a superpower. And they got a dictator. And God is really telling Moses, look, I want you to go. And Moses would have heard it as, I want you to go get killed. Doing something that's ridiculous, because you can never get it done. And so the question that came up is, what would it take for you in your current circumstances, what would it take for you to do something like Moses did? You know, in your current job, in your current studies, in your current location, what would it take for you to do something like Moses did? Or let's make it simpler, more applicable. Because how many, how many of us is God going to call to rescue you know, uh, 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 600,000 people from a oppressive dictatorship. What would it take if you were to say, okay, I got my life, I got my family, I got my career. What would it take for me to say, all of these things are important, but now they're secondary? What would it take to say the primary thing, the primary question I'm going to ask in my life now is this. The primary goal in my life is to say, how can I help advance the purpose of God? What would it take to say, this is the biggest thing in my life, advancing the purpose of God? Whatever circumstance, whatever my family situation, whatever my job, whatever my career, what would it take to say, I'm going to put this as the top priority. And I'm going to fit everything else around it, you know. I'm not going to fit, okay, here's all the things i got to do to survive. And then I'm going to fit the purpose of God into that somehow, wherever I can find nook and cranny. But if we're going to empty this jar, and we're going to say, okay, the first thing that fits in here is the purpose of God. And then I'm going to fit everything else i got to do, important things, around that. What would it take? You know, we think about what it took Moses, what God did to, to, you know, to help Moses, to make it easier for Moses. You know, Moses is born Jewish, so he had that ethnic affinity. And he was raised Jewish for a while. His mother raised him, right? I mean, she threw him in the river in the, the, because she had to, and the Pharaoh's daughter rescued him, and the, the sister said, hey, look, I know Jewish woman who will look after this baby for you and brought him home to her own mother. So, so Moses was raised by his mother for a while. And he was raised Jewish. And then he went off. So he had the ethnic connection. Right? And then he went off to be raised by the Pharaoh or in the Pharaoh's household, in the palace. 
And so he got an elite education. So he had an ethnic connection, and he had an elite education. Would that be enough to motivate you? I mean, a lot of you have an ethnic connection to the biggest ethnic group in the country. I mean, in the world. You've got an ethnic connection. A lot of you, not all of you. To the biggest ethnic group in the world. And a lot of you have had an elite education. Is that enough to motivate you to put the purpose of God as the biggest priority in life? Or what else did God do? Well, Pharaoh had this ethnic affinity. And he saw a Jew being beaten by an Egyptian. He saw a slave being bitten by a... He saw the injustice of one of his people being beaten by a slave master who's kind of more or less one of his adoptive people. And Moses had a heart about injustice. And so he jumped in and killed the guy. What would it take for you to put the purpose of God as the number one thing in your life? If you saw that kind of injustice, would that be enough for you? Would that do it for you? Maybe you see somebody in your own ethnic group suffering injustice. Or maybe you see your ethnic group inflicting injustice on other people, like Filipino workers or Indonesian maids. And you think, well, this is not right. Now Moses failed that first time. He acted rashly, precipitously. He failed. And he said, look, I've done my job. I tried. My life is at risk. I'm getting out of here. And he left. What would it take for you to stay engaged? Or, conversely, what would it take for you to quit? Is one failure enough? You try. It backfires. It's not successful. You know, the thing I wanted to do most when I was a young Christian, Jesus made such a big difference in my life. The thing, and I came to Christ really easily once somebody finally shared the gospel with me. The thing I wanted to do most when I was a young Christian was evangelize. And I was really staggered that not everybody's grasping how great this thing is and people aren't coming to Christ just the first time you hear the gospel, like I did. You know, and you get discouraged and you get kind of, maybe you give up a little bit. What does it take to persevere? And then Moses goes off to Midian. And he minds his own business. He gets married. He has kids. And he's out as a shepherd in the wilderness. And he sees this funny little bush. And he goes close to the bush to see what's going on. And then the bush starts talking to him. What would it take for you to go do something like... Oh, to make God's purposes, the priority in your life. A burning bush? Some spectacular... You know, and... and you know, we think, well, if I had a call like Moses, but Mo- Moses saw the burning bush and he didn't do any. He heard the voice and he still didn't act. And the voice said to him, you know, I want you to go to Egypt. He had a very specific call. I want you to go to Egypt. He had a specific call to a specific place, to a specific people. I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to rescue the Jews, your people. Specific job, specific time, specific place. Would that be enough for you? 
God said to him, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their, su- their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The, home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. And, and now the cry of, my, of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the people, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I'm sending you go. If you had a specific call like that, Would that be enough? You see the burning bush. You hear the call that tells you where, when, and how. Would that be good enough to make you go? You know, it wasn't good enough for Moses. Moses had the kind of call that we wish we had, and it wasn't good enough for him. Moses said, who am I that I should go? And bring the people out of Egypt. God says it doesn't matter who you are. What did God say to him? I will be with you. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. Would that be enough for you? If God were to say, I will be with you, would that be enough for you to go? And not necessarily go. Would that be enough? If God says, look, whatever you do to make my purpose your priority, would that be enough? If God says, I will be with you. You know, it wasn't enough for Moses. So God says, okay, that staff, you know, you're a shepherd, that staff you got, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. And you know, right, turns into a snake, right? Presumably a cobra, because cobra is a symbol of the uh, Egyptian uh, empire and the emperor. He throws this snake down, or this staff down, and becomes a cobra. And Jan says, okay, pick it up by the tail, by the tail, right? By the tail. Pick a cobra up by the tail. And then it becomes a staff again. Whoa. Dog, can you imagine? Would that be enough? For you to put God's purposes, the priority of your life. We think so, you know. Wasn't enough for Moses. So God says, take your hand, put it inside your coat, inside your tunic. And Moses did, and he took it out, and now he's got skin disease. And God says, okay, put your hand back in. He puts his hand back in. <laughs> you know, you got to have, I don't know, look what happened to me the first time I did that. So now he puts his hand back in the second time. And what happened? Now the hand comes out healthy. Would that be enough for you to say, look, I'm going to, this God, I'm going to make him the priority of my life. Well, it wasn't enough for Moses. And God said to him, okay, you know, the water, right? Take some water and pour it out on the ground. And you know the Nile. The Nile was the center of Egypt's life. And the Nile was a, a god to Egypt. And there was God associated with Egypt and they worshipped this god because the, the, god was, uh, the god and the river was essential to their survival. You know, the, the floods and the water and, and the mud silt deposits. So God says to Moses, okay, take some water and pour it on the ground. And he took some water and poured it on the ground and it turned into blood. If you had that experience with God, would that be enough? You know, it wasn't enough for Moses. Moses said, I'm not a good, a good public speaker. Do you see the humor in this? The, the idiocy? You can turn a staff into a cobra... You can turn water into blood. 
Well, yeah, but I'm not good at preaching. And God says, look, I did that. I did this. You know, I turned, I gave you leprosy, I took it away. Don't you think I can control your speech? And if God said that to you, would it be enough to make him the priority, his purpose is the priority? Well, you know, you know the story about enough. You know what comes next. It wasn't enough for Moses. So Moses said, please God, send somebody else. Is that what you're saying? You know, let somebody else make this a priority. Not me. Send somebody else. And we're not just talking about going. You know, going is the bigger step. But you know, we're talking about uh, any number of things you can... When you choose your college... Remember our church focus, right? Four ideas. When you choose your college major, what question are you asking? What really floats my boat? Are you asking, how can I use what I'm good at to advance the purposes of God? And it doesn't mean that you have to change your career. Your same career, same location, the kind of thing Nate Ting's talking about. In your career, in your current company, in your current location, if I make God the priority, how would that shape what I do at work? How I work? Who I relate to? Or maybe you say, look, that's not challenging enough for me. I want to do something more. And so you keep that same vocation and you say, where else in the world could I use this where people don't know Jesus? Where the gospel is not readily available? Where else in the world could I go? And you take your vocation and you get a job with a corporation that will send you there. Maybe like Lee and Diana did. Or maybe you go one step further, more disruptive. Not more holy, not more noble, just more disruptive. You go one step further and you say, you know, my career is fine and being here is fine, but I could do something more strategic. Well, what can I, else, can I do in my life? How, what kind of vocational ministry can I go into and where can I go where really I can be more, more useful to God, shape more lives, touch more hearts with the gospel? Because there's, there's underserved population. I mean, like Eric May did years ago. What would it take for you to do all those things? Any of those things? You know, I think what many of us think is this. If I had a call like Moses, I'd be willing to do it. But I don't have a call. Not like Moses. So let me make two points. I've already made one ten times. You know, Moses had a call like Moses, right? And he didn't do it. Willingly? So if you're not doing it now, maybe you wouldn't even do it if you had a call like Moses. The other point I want to make is this. God called Moses out of Midian. He's got a wife and kids. He's got a family. He's got a place he likes. God calls him out of that. And God tells him, go rescue 600,000 people from a dictator of a superpower. You want to call like Moses? Plan on doing something like Moses did. 
And then maybe you can expect a call like Moses. Most of the people in the Old Testament didn't get a call like Moses. Most of the people in the New Testament didn't get a call like Moses. Maybe the Apostle Paul got a call like Moses. Moses got a call like Moses. Maybe Isaiah, Jeremiah got a call like Moses. Maybe Micah. You know, people that had to stand up against the whole nation. And God said, look, people don't think you're crazy doing this. Ezekiel had a call. I mean, he's tripped naked and laid around for a while. I mean, you, you want to call like Moses. Don't want to call like Moses. Because if God gives you a call like Moses, he's going to ask you to do something like he asked Moses to do. So look, here's the thing. You want to go evangelize, you want to move to Syria to evangelize ISIS? Yes! Wait for a call like Moses. Because that's what he did. You want to go do something that's probably going to get you killed? Yeah, please. Wait for a call like Moses had. But apart from that, maybe we've already been called like Moses was called. Maybe Jesus has already said to us, uh, all authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. Maybe Jesus has already said to us what God said to Moses. I will be with you. When Jesus said that, that wasn't a random statement. Jesus wanted them to think about Yahweh in the Old Testament speaking to Moses and saying, I will be with you. And Jesus says, now look, now I'm in, I'm, I'm in that position as Yahweh. And, and I'm sending you, and, and I will be with you. Is that enough for us? Let's say you're ethnic Korean. And your goal is to evangelize North Korea. I'd say, sure. Wait for a call like Moses had. Let's say, 10 years ago, Hong Kong is in the news now. 10 years ago, we had a couple in this church that was from, in this congregation that was from Hong Kong. And the fellow was much more alert than I was about political things. I mean, he was from Hong Kong and his, his aunt was politically involved. And he came to saw me, and we were chatting, and he said, look, he said, I'm going to go back to Hong Kong. And, you know, the, the, Hong Kong had already been handed over to the Brits. I thought it was a done deal. It was all going to be calm now, because it already, they'd been handed over, everything was calm. And he says, well, look, my family's been politically involved, my aunt, and, and I want to be there in case there's a need for political involvement, and I'm going to go back to Hong Kong. Maybe... You know, he's from Hong Kong, speaks Cantonese, he's got political connections. Maybe, maybe he should wait for a call similar to Moses before he goes back. You know, maybe there's a time where, where people shouldn't act before they have a call like Moses. But how about the rest of us? And when, it doesn't have to mean go. But making God's purposes the priority of our lives. You know, you would have heard, some of you would have heard, some of you paid attention to the story about Rick Sacra. Now, I haven't been able to get the details yet. Rick Sacra is one of the, was the third fellow that was evacuated from West Africa with Ebola to come back to the U.S., get treated to save his life. He's from Massachusetts. He's from, like, Holden, or he grew up in maybe Wayland. Anyway, he lives out in Holden, and he was a, I think, as near as I can figure out, he's a professor at UMass, and then he, every summer he goes over to West Africa and helps medical. And it just happens that this time, he's been doing this for 15 years, and it just happened that this time he got... Ebola. 
what would it take for you to do something like that? If you're trained in medicine, or something similar if you're not trained in medicine. And he didn't go there because they had Ebola. He was just going there because they had a need. Now, Rick, uh, Rick Sacra, you know, you got a sacra, right? Any of you medical doctors, you know sacra is the plural of sacrum, and sacrum is a bone in your pelvis. So you, got, you know, if, if your name is sacra, sacrum, bone in the pelvis, you're going to be a doctor. And sacra means, in, in Latin, it means sacred, holy, because that bo- pelvic bone was what the Greeks and the Romans offered in sacrifice to the gods. So that's why they call it uh, sacra or sacrum. So you know if your name means holy and it's used in sacrifice and, and, and it's a hip bone, you're going to be a medical missionary doctor. You know, maybe that's part of your calling. Figure out what your name means. But there's no evidence in any story I've heard so far that he was going to be a hero or that this was a dramatic call. What it takes is us to say, look, here's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with God's purposes. And then I'm going to fit my life around it. My wife, my kids, my desire to own a home, my desire to live in safety. I'm going to fit all that stuff around this. That God's the center of my life. He made me the center of his life so that I would reciprocate and make him the center of my life. That's where I'm going to start. And then the rest of it's just the details. It doesn't matter so much what you do. It doesn't matter so much where you go. You start with this. God's purpose is the center of my life and then I explore and see where he takes me. And you won't know until you go. As you move out, vocationally, geographically, you'll only find out as he leads. He won't tell you ahead of time, mostly. So that's the question. Will God's purpose be the center of my life? And then I just ride that ride wherever it leads. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you used a kind of poor, helpless, hapless fellow like Moses. And we ask, Father, that you'd use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.